mentally or physically, success could be defined as getting up one more time after you've been knocked down over and over and over again. I'm T. Wood, and this is Triumphant Moments, where we highlight significant moments in life that are far beyond the surface to inform, encourage, and inspire people to triumph over their life's challenges. With me today, I have none other than Miss Tina Treadwell. She is from New Jersey. She has a degree in English literature from Princeton University. She is recognized for her work as a talent executive who's helped out launch the careers of some young stars y'all might be familiar with uh, through the Disney Channel, such as Britney Spears, Jessica Simpson, uh, Leanne Rimes, Backstreet Boys, Ann Carter, and NSYNC. As president of Treadwell Entertainment Group, she develops and manages the careers of groundbreaking talent. She also travels domestically, scouting talent and speaks internationally about careers in film and TV. She also develops and produces film, TV, and theatrical projects for her clients through collaborations with leading directors, producers, and distributors. She is a seven-time NAACP Theater Award nominee and won Best Ensemble for Producing and Casting Sojourner. The story of Sojourner Truth, she is the visionary behind the play Drifter Girl, the remarkable story of the drifters and the woman who played a key role in who they were in their very existence. Welcome, welcome. Welcome, Miss Tina. Wow, what a wonderful introduction, T. Wood. Thank you so much for that. And so happy to be here today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, I want to go ahead and just before we jump on into it, now I know uh, you, ne- you can't necessarily say normal when I ask this question, but let's say Monday through Friday, what would you consider a normal day for you in the mornings? Is it, do you do sit-ups? Is it push-ups? Is it meditation? Uh, some reading, what do you do? What, what's your regular routine? Uh, well, my regular routine is um, multi-sports, um, um, but always starting with a prayer to God and um, often meditating, um, taking specific time in the morning to meditate before I start my day. Um, I uh, have a vision board that I created and I look at it. I read the daily word and I um, meditate on um, divine principles that I want to um, ignite within my spirit in that day and in my life. And then um, I make a prayer about all the people in my life um, about whom I care deeply and the um, things in my life that I'd like to accomplish. And also to basically ask God to use me as a vehicle um, and to be his hands and eyes and um, motion into the world so that I can do you know, good works and the spread of light wherever I go. So that's my deal. Um, I am at a certain age in my life uh, because I love to travel. I love to um, enjoy good food and um, and to, you know, drink a little bit. You know, I have to exercise. So um, I um, at, be, have become a triathlete. Um, in my early 20s, I ran marathons, but uh, my knees couldn't handle all of that. I worked on a movie called The Guardian with Andrew Davis that starred um, Kevin Costner and, and um, Austin Kutcher. And um, it was about Coast Guard rescue swimmers. And we got I got to help cast real Coast Guard 
members to be a part of the movie. And the Coast Guard, a lot of them do triathlons as for fun. And so one of the um, young uh, swimmers who um, I tagged to be part of the movie, I told her we were shooting the film in Shreveport, Louisiana. And um, I said to her, if you help me perfect my stroke, I'll pay for your gym while we're on location. And I told myself at the end of the movie that I would um, enter a triathlon for the first time. Um, and I did. And I actually did it. And then I did was a... Um, a half a mile swim, ocean swim, an 18 mile bike ride, followed by a four mile uh, run. So, so, so that's that's actually something that is. Well, do you still plug that into like your daily routine, like for well, Monday? Yes. Yeah. So as 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 a result of that, the first time I did that was in 2006, and then um, I did about four or five of them over the next two years. That's something that you do plug in from day I to day. I swim two okay. times, two to three times a week. I ride my bike two to two to three times a week. I play tennis uh, mm-hmm. three times a week, and I hike with my dog in the hills in Griffith Park um, one wow. or two days a week. Wow! So okay, so let's get let's let's attack this in sections here. Now, okay. we take a look when we take a look back at your life uh, in understanding, and I think it's safe to say that your parents were very successful in the music and entertainment industry. So, how would you describe life? growing up in your household as the daughter of music managers, uh, how many siblings did you have? I was an only child. And my father, um, George Treadwell, um, was indeed one of the first Black entertainment music managers. And he managed Sarah Vaughn, Billie Holiday, at the end of her career, Dinah Washington, Ruth Brown, Sammy Davis. And he also um, co-founded the Drifters with Clyde McFadder um, back in the 50s. Um, he, I was actually married to Sarah Vaughn at one point and, and his orchestra, um, you know, wasn't a part of a lot of her recordings. He, um, produced and managed her career. Um, when they separated, um, shortly after he married my mother, uh, Faye Treadwell, um, who had been living in Los Angeles after having moved from Texas. She was one of, she was one of four siblings and, um, she helped take, take care of her, um, siblings, while her Baptist minister father um, toured churches um, around um, Arkansas and Texas, and her mother was a school teacher. So by the time she met my dad and was introduced into um, the life of a music manager, um, she was very much wanting to be a part of his life, and they made a mutual decision that she would tour with him. So I had, um, over the course of my life, like three different nanny types who helped raise me. Um, and while they would go on tour and come back and forth. So that was my normal. It was not the normal, you know, sort of family environment where mom and dad go to work and come home every day. They go on tour, they come back. And so for me growing up, um, you know, when they would come back from tour, it was always a holiday. They were always home for holidays. And so holidays are very important to me. And being an only child, I had a lot of independence, and I, w- I guess I could be called a precocious child. And I got to sort of go in and out of um, homes of the families um, mm. of friends that were I grew up with and got to sort of by um, osmosis learn a lot about you know, the ways in which people yeah. were brought up and the more social mores that I needed um, in addition to having the freedom to really sort of self-discipline. 
Mm. Um, and I think that those things um, help really lay a foundation as to who I am as a human being, um, as a woman, and who I am as a businesswoman. Man, I tell you. And, and you know what? With that being said, uh, you kind of harped on it some because I was actually going to jump to that that particular portion just on the mindset growing up. So, you know, in general. So did you would you say this? Did you ever have moments to where you were? OK, I know mom and them. like, did you understand that they were out working? I guess. Did you understand they were out working or was it a thing where you just. They were gone and you didn't understand. No, I completely understood that they were off working. We lived in um, Englewood, New Jersey, which was a suburb of New York um, City. You cross the George Washington Bridge, go into the city. Their office was in Manhattan. Um, they were, you know, they went on and off the road. So I saw them a lot, but it was just that, you know, there was a daily person who was there to take care of me. And then on the weekends and back and forth, I would see them when they would come on and off the road. But when they were on, in town and working, they would take me to their office in New York City. Um, I started going to Broadway shows by the time I was eight years old because Broadway oh. was right around the, you know, around the corner from their office on West 54th Street and Avenue of, of, of the Americas. And um, I would go to the Apollo Theater and be right. and sit on the apron of the stage while the drifters were performing. And if they were performing with Chubby Checker, if they were performing with, you know, other groups, like I got to see what that was like. And I understood um, what that was like. And I think very much so being around such excellence, um, you know, in our neighborhood, like the Isleys lived around the corridor. Sylvia Robinson lived across the street. Like there, it was like a lot of entertainers um, lived in Englewood because of its close proximity to New York City. So I was around a lot of people who, you know, became great. And I was aware of that. And I was aware of the work that my parents did to support, you know, one of the top music groups of all time. Wow. And um, I was, uh, in, you know, privileged to be a part of that and have that be a part of my background. And, um, you know, I think that the Tina tread that well, that became a casting director, that became a producer. Um, all of those things um, sort of have a seeds planted from understanding what is good. Come on. And understanding, you know, how hard it is to excel, to be great. And um, by having, seeing my parents work so hard and to fight in the music business, to, you know, struggle to keep what was theirs, um, especially after my father died when I was nine. And my mother, you know, ended up realizing that, you know, for her, for us to maintain the life that my father and she had helped build, that she would need to buy out his partners and take over the drifters and move them to London and continue to sort of fight battles because she in turn became one of the first black female entertainment managers and met with a lot of um, roadblocks and struggles against a manager, other managers, promoters, agents, who, you know, sought, sought to undermine her um, her managerial responsibilities and basically try to steal the group from her on many occasions that she would then have to fight legally to maintain and to regain uh, control. And so having that as an example um, of a, a woman who basically didn't bring me up thinking when you get married and you have kids, it was sort of like you better marry well or be an, a success. The fact that uh, what you pointed out earlier of how the things uh, and the style in which you grew up and 
the greatness that you got to see at such a young age, how it is clear it played a role in the way that you perceive things, your efforts, your drive, things that, you know, morals and things that you have still till today. So, I mean, with that being said, what motivated and captured your attention to attend Princeton University? Well, one of the things that was a byproduct of my parents not being around as much as other kids had their parents around, um, I had a lot of very um, successful neighbors. And my friend's parents, one was a scientist, one was a teacher, one was a psychiatrist, one, one was, you know, the mayor. You know, so I was in and out of these kinds of homes and I would often be asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm. My first thing was a flight attendant because I um, got, for me, they, my parents actually put me on a plane when I was six years old and I traveled by myself to um, Los Angeles from New York to when visit six family. Months, sorry, Trey, six, you, six, six years old. I can't. Hold on. Six years old? Yes. Okay. Gotcha. And wow. it's so ironic because my business partner, who is a very amazing uh, woman named is Kim Rena Coleman, um, not to be confused with the very um, talented casting director, Kim Coleman. But, you know, she has a seven-year-old grandson. And, like, the idea of her putting that child on a plane would be is like anathema to her. Like, she couldn't even fathom it. But, you know, to me, um, you know, really, when you think about it, when you adult will take a child to the front of the plane, they walk them on, they walk off, the plane shuts, the stewardess is there, you're sitting right next to her. The whole time you're on the plane, they give you your wings, they give you coloring books, and it's all about you. And then there's the pilot and they waved you. This was way before, you know, all of the, uh, the procedures where you can't really talk. They'd let me walk and see the cockpit. And then you'd sit there and then you'd land. And then at the door, when the plane opened, your relative would be there. So, I mean, to me and to my mom and my dad, it was like, okay, this that she can handle this. And I think that there is something to be said for telling a child that you can handle something. Because there's so many children that I see who are a part of family members that I know who love them so dearly, but they hold them so close that, you know, sometimes they're afraid to walk two steps away from their parents. And for me, it was like the world was safe. They made me think that the world was safe. Now, you decided to take your gifts and talents into casting and producing. So can you give us a quick idea? Well, not even quick, but what inspired you to even, your interest to even go that direction? Five influential things of my life going to Princeton was one of them. And the degree of which you did meet people from all walks of life, from all over the world, who are all excelling to be the best that they can be at that moment. And also dealing with the trials and tribulations of being young people on your own for the first time. It was a very, um, you know, empowering, but also, um, you know, challenging experience. My first year wasn't great because it was a lot of, here we are, first year there, you're sitting in the auditorium, the first week of school, and they're saying, look to your left, look to your right. You are all the top of your schools, but now there's going to be a new pecking order. And someone to your left or your right won't be here in four years. And that was like, wow. That's a nice dose of reality just to kind of bust you in the face, don't you think? 
Absolutely, especially since the majority, I would say, well, you would think, but let's say even half of the students there all came from privileged um, prep schools, private schools, and I went to a good you know, public high school in New Jersey. And it's like the way in which they approached academia or just the way in which they did learning, taking, again, the paradigm that I showed that was me doing well in school right. because I was a pleaser, right. not so much for the pursuit of knowledge. Mm -hmm. There became an, an awareness, wow, people pursue knowledge for joy, for a voracious desire or need for understanding. Mm was a whole different way of looking at education. And, you know, and, and then it's sort of like trying to follow what my mother wanted for me was to either become a lawyer and I was like taking classes in political uh, college, you know, economics. And, you know, and I was like, my eyes were like glazing over, like, oh my God, I can't. <laughs> and then one day I, you know, went to my English literature class and it was so interesting because, you know, reading Chaucer and reading Shakespeare, reading Milton, um, you know, again, as I mentioned before, the church was a really important part of my life. And what I recognized is that the people who were literate, who were allowed to be literate in those in the, you know, 1600s, 1500s, they came through the church. And so if you read Milton or you read Chaucer or you read Shakespeare you and you read the, you know, addendums and the notes in the morning, there are all of these preludes, you know, to the something from the Bible or something from, you know, um, you know, the Greek mythology or something. And so all of a sudden it's like, oh, I understand this. See? So right. if you're looking at, you know, an economic, uh, I'm sorry, an academic view of Shakespeare and you take God and you find all these things, you find a through line of which I could relate and then have a di an economic discourse uh, about. So when I was writing my junior paper, you know, again, psychology, you know. It just kept popping up. You kept seeing it. Uh, yeah. And, it, and, it, and it's all about relationship. Everything is about relationship. Come on. The Bible is about the relationship between the disciples and Jesus. I mean, in the Old Testament, Ooh, between, don't do it, don't you know, Tina. all of these, you know, all of the, the Moses and the saints and his their relationship with people, with their relationships with themselves, their relationships with their own personal demons. It's like, and psychology is that, you know, looking into oneself or in the, what the, what's happening in the drama of the story. So if you're studying Eugene O'Neill or in his plays and you're looking at the dynamic of families and you're looking at the families then in the homes in which you visited and you're looking at the stories that have been depicted on stage or in other literature, then you have, again, this common through line about relationships. And you can then have an academic discourse about it. And that's what I started to learn. And there was a graduate student that really like actually read Paradise Lost with me and something clicked. And I said, I understand. And that's when I, you know, declared my major. I was able to write a senior thesis about the Tempest. That and opened up the door, seemed like for you. I'm looking at you. It seemed like that opened up the floodgates. You were like, oh, get, I got it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I get it. I yeah, get it. very I much get it. so. And so I and then it was like, oh, my God. I mean, I wish that I had come in understanding what I, I found out. 
But then, you know, again, you can't regret anything. And your journey is what your journey is. And it's really about. Oh, oh, I, I got to make sure you say that again, Ms. Tina, because my followers, they need to hear that part. Your, what you said about your journey? The journey is about accepting where you are and what you were given and what you make of that. You can't regret what you didn't have or what you don't have or what you weren't given it's what do I have and how do I make the best of it? Who do I know who can help me? And I guess the most important thing is, again, the things that I came to understand was in relationship to people and reaching out for help, whether it was my TA or asking you know, how, from other people how they deal with stuff so that it would then help me understand how I can do it. When, as we just went through some segments of your life growing up and with college, you were able to speak on something that you were overcoming throughout those different milestones in your life. If you took a pause right now and you told us, what is something that just tends to stick out amongst everything that you've experienced in your life that was very challenging or difficult for you to overcome in your entire life? What's something that stands out amongst the multiple things that you've overcome what is something that stands out to you that you remember? What would it be? That's really tough because um, it's not, I don't see it as just one thing. You know? Oh, no, it's not one thing. I mean, it was hard to overcome the death of my father. It was hard to overcome the morning that I was told that my father died, hearing my mother crying in the next room and my grandmother basically saying, look, this happened. Your mom's really hard, you know, get up, go to church. And I went to my neighbor's house next door and I said, my dad died. And my friend Patty said, he did not. And I go, no, he did ask your mom. Yes, he did. Okay. Going to church and basically putting on my choir robes and um, then, you know, carrying the cross in front of the choir and going up because I was an accolade alight also as a choir member, putting the cross down, sitting in the church crew. And then all of a sudden, halfway through the service, when the minister is saying, OK, now we say our father who art in heaven. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, my God. And nothing in that moment was there ever anyone sort of looking at how I felt. And I broke down in the church pew and I'm crying. And all of a sudden I feel myself being lifted up and carried out and then sitting down on someone's lap. And then I woke, I opened my eyes and the minister had left the service and took me out and held me while I cried. 25 years later, I was at a friend's house and it was her parents' anniversary. And I saw her as a 40-year-old woman talking to her 65-year father and seeing that relationship and kind of crying, realizing that I never got to grow up having that tutelage, having that, you know, relationship and, and what that meant and sort of not having that pivotal male figure in my life growing up. And so I think that, you know, in many ways, I've looked to mentors and I have some really wonderful ones in my life who have helped kind of fill that void. But I think that that was a real tough one. Um, I think losing my mother um, when or, you know, leaving, having to answer the call when I found out that my mother was sick in London and having a very successful job where I was a vice president at Disney. I was 
being asked to travel, you know, to Europe and to start, you know, Disney helping to start Disney Channel's, you know, the talent departments in London and knowing it was going to be international organization um, and recognizing that there wasn't a question that when I realized that something was wrong with her, that I needed to go to take care of her and how ironically God just had this one thing that happened, hadn't happened before, hadn't happened after, that there was a downsizing that was happening at Disney at the point, and they started, they had a severance program that they did. And we, I was in big meetings talking about who we might let go. And I ended up handing in an application to HR saying, I need to do this. And everyone's like, what? Not you. I mean, not Tina Treadwell, because I was one of not even a handful of vice presidents that were African-American in the whole company. Um, and yet I had to do this for my mother. And, you know, so many, you were never, as a child, I was never told one day you're going to take care of your mother. Matter of fact, as you can imagine, over the course of my life, my relationship with my mother, although we loved each other, it was not, we weren't like a really, really close in that manner because she was a Baptist from the South. She wasn't that demonstrative. I knew she loved me by how she took care of me and what she did for me and the what she, the freedoms that she allowed me, the fact that I didn't have to pay for college. I didn't have to work for school. I could save my money during internships in the su- summer and then fly to Paris and use that money, you know, the way I wanted to by getting an extra job so I could have that because I got social security because my dad died, but she took care of college. I took care of the daily expenses, but, you know, growing up and then going through all the things that led me to be a VP at a major corporation. But at that moment in time, there was a pivotal moment. I had to let go of those. And my boss at the time said to me, you have about two years that you can leave before you come back and become redundant. And and just interject in, you've shown so, it's like, it's so two things. One, there's so many situations in your life where when you decide to go at it, you locked, you locked in and you went at it with everything that you had. So here's my here's my question for you. Where do you think you got that fire, that tenacity from? Would you say mother? Would you say father? Or would you say someone else that was implemented in your life, in your upbringing? Where did that fire, that tenacity, where did it come from? It came from my parents. It came from my parents. Um, I mean, I've certainly had other people in my life who've shown me. um, But the other people in my life who, you know, like Rich Ross or like Eric Von Lowe or like Sylvia Rohn or like different people who are successful. I saw them. I didn't see them building that success. I saw them successful. And I saw that there is an aspect of that that I would like to have. And I will tell you a pivotal moment in my life was that I was at a party and sometimes you trace relationships. So there are people that I met a woman named Leslie Bellsberg, who was, who became one of my roommates and she was, came from a well-to-do family in Calgary. And, you know, her family were philanthropic and started the Simon Wiesenthal center. And she had invited me to a party and I went to this party and I met a guy named Oliver Goldstick, who was a TV writer at the time. And he you know, said, oh, you know, um, and I told him, you know, somehow we got into the I talking about 
music. And I said, oh, my parents said this. My father represented Dinah Washington. Dinah Washington, how ironic is that? I just worked on a TV show with a woman named Yvette Freeman, and she was talking to me about her love of Dinah Washington. And I've been writing a play about Dinah Washington. Would you like to produce it? And I'm like, oh, wow, yes. And so then I ended up calling my mother and saying, look, you know what? I want to produce this play. I've been getting bored of casting. I think there's something more beyond it. If you support me this summer so that I can turn down jobs so that I can just focus on this, I Mm -hmm. promise you by January, I will have a job. And that's when she gave me that lecture about, wait, what do you mean working for other people? We're entrepreneurs. I'm going, no, really, truly, I want to go inside a network somewhere and learn how series and movies and specials are created so I can eventually become a content provider as opposed to be someone who's just offering talent to those projects. I want to be a part of that journey. And she said, okay. And that was in April of 1996 and in January of 1997 I started work at Disney Channel. See, it, it again for the followers because Tina you said it earlier but I got I have to place emphasis on it because there's a lot of youth that also watch uh this podcast but uh you said it early everything that you've been through when you think back to things that you've been through in your life Although some people regret going through some challenges in their life, and they're like, I wish I didn't go through that. But I'm one to believe that whatever you experience actually leads up to being a piece of the puzzle of who you are today. Would you agree or do you disagree? Absolutely. No question. I look at that, like I look at the building blocks that led to that moment, starting from that one person. And so I recognize people in my life who were a part of a that were a piece of the puzzle that God put there for me oh. to get from A to Z. And oh. a lot of the places that you get to are not necessary. They're like, you know, Hansel and Gretel, they're following breadcrumbs. Like a lot of those <laughs> breadcrumbs you are not the destination. And sometimes we get, you know, we, we get identity attached to one of those breadcrumbs oh. and we hold on to it instead of just eating it and keep on going. Come on. And so my going to Disney may have seemed like that was the end. But then God said, your mom needs your help. What's your decision? Do you put her somewhere? Do you do this? You just stay here? No, I leave. And then it opened up this other opportunity to then start my own talent management company. And um, then finding my business partner through having gone through all those different cities and seeing talent all over the way. And my business partner was the mother of one of the young actors that I found. And eventually after we had some time working together as her son's manager, um, she became my partner. But it's like now Treadwell Entertainment Group, you know, that has been, you know, the um, company that has nurtured and helped develop young talent that have gone on to star in movies and series. And we can look at a TV screen or look at a movie screen and go, we help do that. And that's the most gratifying thing in the world. For anyone who didn't hear that transition, uh, I wanted to plug in on actually the Drifters. Could you please give us a, a little synopsis or get, let us know about the Drifters Girl play? Um, how is it doing? Uh, what is it based on? You know, Um, well, um, so Michael Harrison said to me, I'd like to option your your story, your parents story to create a musical. Um, And I think the entry point of having it be focused on the woman who brought them to London be like the focus. And so basically the drifter, my mother is the drifters girl. Um, But um, in essence, 
you know, in the play, there is a character named girl that is actually me. And so it's one of those things that it's like, who is the Drifters girl, you know? And then the musical, um, you know, um, Michael optioned the story in 2017. Um, then COVID happened in 2019 when it was supposed to um, uh, debut. So it didn't debut until um, October of 2021, um, starring Beverly Knight. Preview started in Newcastle, which is like um, three hours outside of London, just to preview it for a month. And then it moved to the Garrick Theater in London's West End in November 3rd. And then uh, on Thanksgiving Day, um, 2022, 21, it uh, opening night, press night um, uh, at London. And then um, we were nominated for two Olivier Awards, which are like the British Tonys. Um, and so I got to walk the red carpet with the cast, which was really wonderful. And then, like I said, we recorded a cast album. Um, and, um, and it will, and it's running in London until October. So it's, it'll be ending like a, a, from the, it has a year run and then it will start touring in Great Britain. And then there are conversations about actually bringing it to Toronto and also to London to the, I mean, to, uh, Los Angeles. First off, how can anyone follow the play or follow you and anything that you have going on? Is there websites and social media? Um, you know, um, if you just Google the drifters girl, everything yes. will come up. Um, mm-hmm. also on, um, uh, Instagram, the drifters girl musical. Yeah. They'll come up. You'll see everything. Um, I, I'm on um, Instagram, Tina Treadwell. I, I don't, post as much as I should. Um, and, you know, but, and, you know, I have their Treadwell Entertainment Group has a Facebook page. And so, you know, those are ways that you can. Can, can, can get to those things. Okay. i tell yeah. you what, um, for, I, I want to plug this before we head out of here, actually, because uh, I work in the field of mental health. I'm actually a therapist. Uh, I wanted to plug something for my viewers. Um, and I thought that you would be a great, great example of this. So when you think back to everything that you've experienced in your life, um, there's this thing that's uh, that's uh, titled and centered around having the proper uh, engagement, uh, attachment, attachment theory um, as far as with our parents, with our caregivers. So with, when it pertains to your mom growing up and you think about how you grew up, do you feel that your relationship, thinking from attachment, do you think that your mom, you became close and had the proper attachment with your mom? Or do you feel that there was this sense of distance, even though she had to do what she had to do? Do you feel like it was a very closeness between y'all? Or do you feel that there was always still, you know, a level of distance uh, between y'all, between you, your mother and your father, actually? Um I think that in the years that I grew up until my father died, I felt close with my parents, even though they were on the road, because they always came home. And so it's like, you know, they went away, they worked, they came home. And when they came home, they brought me stuff. We do things together. Like, you know, um, I was never wanting, you know, in that thing. I think that when my mom moved to London nine months out of the year, there was a distance. Although, you know, her thing is there was not a day that went by from the time I she left until I was in my 40s that we didn't talk every day, at least like checked in. 
like right. all through college, like you couldn't go to bed unless we spoke. So, and then she was eight hours away. So she would, you know, figure out when that time was, you know, for her, she'd call me first thing in the morning. That was near, that was about the time I was going to bed, bed at night. So, you know, we would always talk, but yes, there was a distance. Although, you know, look at all the things that she did for me, you know, like every Thanksgiving, every Easter, I would go to London. I would bring my college roommates. We'd go visit her for five days. Then we go to Paris or we go to Amsterdam. We do, you know, I, she afforded me this opportunity to look at, to see myself as a global citizen, which I think is really important. I think it's really important that students, that young people go get out of just seeing themselves yes. limited by the, the neighborhood, the Come city, on. the state, the country that they live in. You can't know yourself or know your country until you leave it. And when you go to Vietnam and you hear about the American war, I'm like, wait, what? And like, oh, my God, that's how they refer to the Vietnam War. It's the American War. And then you see the artwork. You see their shrines to it. You see how it was both sides. And you see that, you know, it's just amazing. But you see how other people live around the world and all just trying to survive. We're all human beings. We all have love of family. We all worship a God. We all, you know, want safety. You know, we're all yearning for the same thing. And, you know, and again, the gift that my mother gave me to be able to feel, meet friends from my college friends in Europe or whatever, and to get our Euro Braille pass and to go around and feel safe. Yes, there are dangers that happen in the world, but you know, a lot of it you can curtail by carrying yourself a certain way and not being a victim. Mm -hmm. But having a sense of, the world being a place that I belong is right. like, I think that that allows me to go into any social environment, black, yes. white, Hispanic, and, and feel that I belong. Right. And that's something my mother gave me and my father gave me too. Cause if you look at the two of them in the, you know, especially back in the fifties and sixties, there weren't as many black people who've made it as there are today. So everybody kind of knew everybody in that right. era. And, you know, I think that what the gift that God gave me in terms of what you're discussing in terms of the attachment, mm -hmm. when my mother took ill and she came down with dementia and I brought her back. At first, I took her to her mother's house. Her mother lived 107. And at the time she lived there, um, you know, she was uh, 100 you know, 102, 103, 104. My mom stayed with them for two years. And then when when she, my aunt, my grandmother, my aunt, my mom came back to LA to visit my grandmother's sister before her sister passed away. My mother then saw my house, saw my guest house and said, can I come stay with you? And I go, oh, I've been trying to get to you here for two years, of course. But that period of time, right. it's very interesting. When I was working on The Guardian, one of the guys who was a Coast Guard um, advisor, his father at, at the time had gotten dementia. And he was telling me horror stories about how mean he and cantankerous he got during that era. Right. And my mom, on the other hand, who was this powerful businesswoman who was like no hold bars and, you know, held her emotions close to her vest. Um, she became so doting. And so, oh my God, Tina, I love you so much. I wake up in the morning. I love you. You're so beautiful. Da, 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 da. And then, you know, whenever we go out with people, oh, no, no, this seat's Tina's. No, 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 you can't sit here. And it's like, where's Tina? You know, well, Tina's away. I, we, she asked us to pick you up. No, 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 I'm waiting for Tina. It's like I became her world and it became so funny. But the irony is that, at, that right when I was about ready to go in the Guardian, I came home to tell her, 
that I had to go to Louisiana to work on this movie for six months. And she looked at me and she said, can I go too? And in that one meaning moment, T. Wood, it's like I was in a vortex and it went, woo, woo, woo. and all of a sudden, 12 year old Tina is looking at, you know, 40 year old mom. And I'm like going, I hadn't realized that how there had Bill still been resentment in my heart of how she, like, I didn't get to go. And yet in that one moment, everything that I was telling her of why she couldn't come with me, yeah. because I'm working on a movie from five in the morning to five at night or five at night until five in the morning. And that I, if she, if something happened, if I found somebody there and then they didn't come in, I couldn't like leave work. And like, she had a safe place here to care all of those things. And I finally, and I started to cry because I finally understood the decision that she made and God had that happen and had us have those years together so that that part of myself that was broken would be healed. And she became my best buddy. I would take her everywhere. She, We'd get her walker and I got a handicap van when it got to the point where she couldn't really walk that well. I bought a handicap van. I'd wheel her out. We'd go visit her relatives and her you know, auntie would be sitting there. And I go, when's the last time you went to the beach? Oh, God, I haven't been here years. Oh, it's just too much trouble. I'm not going, what? It's like. It's the same way you get a baby and you get a baby bag together. You take the right. elderly people. You can do the same thing, but somehow we don't. And my, um, she loved to be front row. She loved to go listen to music. She hated to just stay at home. So we went out and we did stuff. And those years that I took care of her until she passed away, um, really, she became my best pal. And that's the gift that God gave. Man, I, and, and here we are. Um, wow. We, uh, there's something that I have, Tina, I call uh, encouragement for free. Um, when you think of everything that, I mean, honestly, you dropped a lot of jewels, but if you can muster up another one here, there's something I call encouragement for free. So everything that you've been through in your life, uh, it could have been some morals or something that was bestowed inside of you. What would be some encouragement for free that you would share with all the viewers Right in this moment. What's something on your heart? Um, well, let's uh it's I guess there's it's it's fivefold. Number one, having strong faith is really important. The trials and tribulations, the things that happen in life, they're gonna be ups and downs all the time. But if you are cemented in understanding that, that you are here for a reason, that everything is here for a reason, how can you look at the colors of the fish in the ocean, the flowers in a garden, the trees, the diversity of animals, the diversity of humankind? How can you think that that's all an accident? And if you really, really look at the things that have happened in your life, some that you will see that through line that we've talked about here. And so for me, it's like, if you go through a rough time and you get to the other side of it, that's your lesson. Oh, rough times, other side. There's always an other side to the rough time. And that is, you know, ultimately, if you believe in the Bible and you believe in the you know, story, I mean, it's like, you know, the other side of even a crucifixion was life. So bottom line is that you need to have faith. If you have faith, your faith will get you through anything. You will get to the other side. The things that were paramount that I thought I couldn't survive before, I'm now here. And I'm like going, oh, I'm here. So that means you get to the other side and that becomes your testimony. That becomes the things that you can share. The second thing I would say would be knowing what you want and voicing it um, and writing it down. Um, 
something that was very, very pivotal. That period of time that I said I was going to work on the Drifters, I mean, on the Dinah Was, the musical about Dinah Washington. And I asked my mom to that I wouldn't have to work and I could just focus on the play. Well, we didn't start play rehearsal until like 12 or 1 or something. Mm-hmm. I did something called The Artist's Way. And it's a book, and the woman who wrote the book, her name is either Linda or Barbara Cameron, something like that. But anyway, you look up the artist's way. And it's basically about looking at your creativity as your spiritual path. Mm. And what it asks you to do, it's a three-month exercise of writing morning pages every morning by hand. And then exercises would give you like weekly assignments. And sometimes it would be taking yourself out on a date, doing something, you know, and writing, creating a vision board, doing all this kind of stuff. But the one thing I will say is that I was a journaler my whole life anyway, but I, people had told me like so many times over the course of time to read this book. And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, someone that week, someone said, do it. And I realized, you know what? Now that I'm not going to be working every day, I can do this. So I did this. And one of the exercises in the book, at the, near the end, after I'd done all of the coursework and I'd written every day and I did all the little exercises, one of the exercises near the end said, write down your perfect day. Mm. And what I did is there were two people that were pivotal in my life. I mean, that had careers in my life that I thought were really, really interesting. My mentor to this day, his name is Eric Van Lowe. He's one of the uh, producers of the original producers of the Cosby show. He developed even Stevens for the Disney channel that Shia LaBeouf um, was in. And he's done a number of things in the business. He's a writer. He's a young, um, a young um, writer, people's writer as well. Um, Anyway, at the time he had a deal at Disney. And I saw his life, what that was like having a deal there. And then I had a friend of mine who was head of marketing at Capitol Records. Hmm. So I took two of these people's careers and I, and I honed them in. And I said, and at the time I'm renting a house. I have, you know, a, a, a car, blah, blah, blah. Right. I, I say, I wake up this morning. I own my own house. It has a white picket fence. I get into my convertible. I drive to the Disney lot. I wave to the guard. I drive into my parking spot that has my name on it. I go into my office. I My days are involved with meeting with writers, producers, directors, actors. I go to sets. I have credentials. I go to concerts. I um, have an expense account. I, um, you know, I travel. You know, I mean, I wrote all of this down to the letter, very, very like intricate of all these different facets. And there was nothing in my life at that moment that foreshadowed that that would be my reality. That would happen. I was a casting, a commercial casting director that started working for a theatrical casting director, kind of, and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And then I produced this play. And then at this point, I was trying to produce my first play. But that was it. Hmm. But... A year and a half from writing that, every single thing that I wrote came to pass. And what that said was that when you set a strong enough intention where something's truly your heart's desire and you write it into existence, the word is really powerful. The beginning of the Bible said, let there be light. He spoke the word. The word was reality. When you, so our words as children in the book, the, the essence of the artist's way is basically saying, 
as children of God, we inherit what is his. And so therefore, if God is a creator, then as his children, it's incumbent upon us to create. Now we may create in a myriad of ways as a housewife, as a writer, as a teacher, as a whatever. Right. But you create something. Right. And so in the creation, it creation started with a word. Everything you see, every table, every label, every phone was somebody's idea once. And that person wrote it down, then told somebody else about it. And that's how it got into existence. So that can happen in that way. I mean, I bet you everybody can think about that one thing they really, really wanted and it happened. If you have belief, if you have a strong desire and it is one that's not going to hurt anybody, that it's truly something that can bring joy, that if you truly believe and you don't stop, if you do everything in your power to make something happen and then you surrender the rest to God, it's going to happen. If the thing that you desire that is the first thing you think about in the morning and the last thing that you think about at night and you exhaust all opportunities and you follow every lead to the point in which other people think you're crazy, it is energetically impossible for it to not manifest. You know, you don't be so locked in at how you think your blessing is supposed to come. Sometimes Ooh. your blessing will be in a way that you don't recognize. But you have to just listen to the little voice and follow it because the little voice inside won't let you down. It's like that little voice that says to grab your keys. Oh, I have them in the car. I don't need them. And then you realize you get where you're going. You know, follow that little voice. So that's all I have to share today. Tina, listen, I, I got to throw in behind that, y'all. Please understand that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And just plugging away at what you said, Tina, I really, 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 I can't say really enough, really appreciate not only you taking out time to come here and to be willing to say some things, engage in a way that is going to encourage someone, some people to press on through whatever they may be going on in life. I really, from the bottom of my heart, appreciate you taking that time, coming on the show, you know, helping me with my endeavors. I really appreciate that. Well, I appreciate you and the work that you're doing. And I thank you for inviting me. And I also thank Angelise Eccles, who um, basically um, told me about you and, and uh, suggested that you meet me. Oh, man. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome folks here, y'all. I am going to speak with you just shortly after this here. Um, Listen, I've said it before. I'll say it again, everyone. Sometimes in life, you must fail in order to succeed. But one thing must stay consistent. Under no circumstances do you ever, ever give up. I'm T. Wood, and I am with the great... Miss Tina Treadwell. Thank y'all for tuning in. Y'all take care.